Welcome back, folks, to episode 35 of the Running Man Self-Regulation Skills and Self-Improvement Project podcast with me, your host, Dr. Armando Dominguez, Ph.D. in Health Psychology, Licensed Professional Counselor, and an Adjunct Professor at a local community college. And today's topic is going to be when our emotional experience takes us on a roller coaster ride of sorts and becomes a time machine wherever we go back and have feelings and thoughts of reliving an event and therefore takes us to days of future past, meaning that in the future we keep doing this, we're going to have the past experience frequently, kind of like this continuous loop. And also that means that our euphoric and dysphoric recall episodes, when we have memories that they're good or bad, but when we pull them up and they have an emotional charge, they become our tickets to the past. So when we're on that emotional roller coaster ride, often people take that as a negative, and often it can be. But uh, many times we have to take into consideration that there is a large measure of control uh, that we have whenever we're remembering things intentionally. But uh, whenever we have environmental pressures, often we may have experiences of feelings and emotions. Some would say that we may even have what's called a reverie. And sometimes it's even known as being a sentimental recall if we're remembering things that we may have picked up and that reminds us of loved one families that are, that are gone, that sort of thing. So in light of what we're titling this uh, episode, Days of Future Past, the Emotional Roller Coaster, Your Time Machine, and Your Ticket to the Past, uh, we're going to discuss a few things about, well, how do I recall? And what does that have to do with self-regulation, the whole spirit of this podcast in the first place? Well, recall often takes us to an emotional space, and we have to take that into consideration. That's one. And if that is always a negative, then that can always lead to dysregulation or escalation of not only emotion, but negative thoughts or maybe even events where we may be more apt to act out if we feel under stress or we believe ourselves to be in a state of threat of sorts. And if we think back, if our environment feels unsafe, even though outside it looks safe, but yet my feelings are very convincing and powerful, then I may be more likely to respond to those, even though I may not be in immediate danger. But yet the immediacy says, get out of here, run, make safe first. I feel like the bologna sandwich. So when we consider the idea of euphoric recall, often this is a term amongst those that uh, work with people that are addicted or have substance use issues. Uh, This is also something that uh, whenever we have eating disorder or we have uh, disorders of behavior such as shopping or gambling, we have this little area of time in our mind that uh, is the high before the high, in quotes. And that's whenever we start getting on the chase, and it's the excitement of the chase that people talk about, or the fun or the adventure within the chase before the actual acquisition that people get actually rather intoxicated with. And that is a reminder that there's payoff of some sort. And it's all lodged in the idea that I've had this before and it was great. And if I've done it before and done it frequently enough that I had payoff, my reward centers light up. They not only light up, they awaken and arouse the body and get us ready to pursue as if we're seeking food when we've not eaten, when we used to be cave people a long time ago as a collective. 
So whenever we have recall, the emotional roller coaster, when it's up and down and there's instability of emotion, that can be a little more intense. And this can also lead to feeling stuck and believing things from the past, even though you know things may have changed. But we take into consideration, once again, that our higher uh, cognitive uh, process has been marginalized because our blood flow has gone to our body. If we're excited physically, if we're aroused physically, that means the blood flow is in our skeletal muscles largely and is being robbed from our higher cognitive process in our brain. It doesn't empty our brain completely, but those areas rather that we reason, rationalize, and can tell time with. And therefore, the the time machine adage that I was putting into the title of this episode, because we lose our capacity to really have a sense of time, of, of past, present, future, and being able to differentiate, and more so get stuck in the immediate right now and discomfort of it, or even the pleasure of it, and being only marginally able to plan for the future. What I do now is going to affect what I'm going to do in the next moment, for instance. But I can't plan to retire with that kind of thinking. That's not the appropriate mode or level of brain that I need activated, nor the level of mind and thinking that I need to strategize with. So in the future, if I keep doing the recall like I'm doing right now, that means we're going to be experienced in the past forever in a perpetual loop. We can't ever erase it, and that's just one of our human things because we are able to remember. That is part of our capacity to learn. It is part of our hedonic uh, programming that says avoid pain and seek pleasure. Whenever we become emotional and it gets out of hand and out of control, that's when we start losing quality of life. We start losing quality of events and quality of relationships within those special relationships and times that we'd like to enjoy more. And here we are getting close to the holidays here in the United States, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and um, the other holidays as well that uh, often bring people together. And there is always this pressure, this expectation of having to meet certain conditions. And some of them are not real. Others are pressured and pushed into believing and behaving in a certain way. And and if you don't, then, well, you know, the love is removed or taken away or you're judged harshly or, or one feels like one failed somehow. And these are all beliefs based on emotions, based on past emotions and events that are bringing up emotions in the present that kind of steal our ability to enjoy the immediate right now and will probably shape what our future is going to look like. So why is this really important to self-regulation? Well, the answer is manifold, but I will add a couple of things that may be useful to you. Know, one is realizing that uh, to be present is the most important gift when it comes to being able to enjoy time with people. But whenever we worry, if we've done something right, or did I bring the right gift, or did I spend enough money, am I dressed well, this sort of thing, that we're playing an ego game. And whenever we lay a lot of weight to that, and make it seem like that's the most important part, then we're missing the exercise of being in the immediate moment and enjoying the people you're with, the event you're in. Mind you, this should be a euphoric recall and having fun and joy, but yet often it's an entanglement of the negatives, the judgments and stuff that go along with that. So it's this wave, the sine wave of euphoric to the dysphoric. We're trying to prevent the negative and enhance and overdo on the side of the positive versus letting things 
just be natural. We try to control things that maybe are out of our control, but yet at the same time, we can't control ourselves, which is the most controllable part of our experience moment to moment, what we learn to practice to get aware of and also to love uh, the very fact that we're human and be grateful for the fact that our body is, in essence, when it's a little stressed, disrupted, trying to take care of us and trying to improve our chances of being around to have more of the carrots and less of the sticks in our lives. So another thing that's really important uh, having to do with dysphoric recall is that even though that's protective me mechanism that we have, uh, sometimes we can get really, really stuck in loop those thoughts, what we call ruminating, when we overly focus on those things. And that is part of our tendency as we're wired to seek the negative. Not that we're negative by nature, but rather we're looking at those thorny things that hurt, those rock-like things that if I fall on those, well, that's going to not feel so good. So we can avoid potential pain, so we can strategize and predict a little bit. Same thing with euphoric recall. On the negative side of the euphoria is that we could potentially start addicting or becoming dependent on things because we only seek the positives. We don't allow life to occur. And even though I don't like to use this term, in life, in a human life, there is suffering. And we don't have to suffer unnecessarily or excessively. There's going to be struggle. And I think that's probably a better term than suffering. In life, there's struggle. But we don't necessarily have to suffer in, in an elongated way in a protracted way over our life, when we have dysphoric recall that is tied to guilt, is tied to shame, self-judgment or judgment by others, or trying to please other people in a system that is not necessarily realistic, uh, because you can't please it, you can't make them happy, and it's only fleeting, then you wind up with that void, that feeling of being invalid or or not useful or of value to anyone whenever we can't keep that joy within us. And often we have the pain that comes as a result of realizing, well, it came, that was great, but now it's gone. We have that feeling of deprivation. That's where that sine wave starts to go back towards the discord. And it's in that sine wave vacillating back and forth between the euphoric and the dysphoric that we start seeing seeking and behavior patterns that start to change because we are strategic. We want to prevent the drop. We want to encourage the rise. And when we do this, we may be doing things that uh, become unnatural because we're not supposed to feel good 100% of the time. Now, there is a baseline of comfort. There is a baseline of general feeling good wellness, and, and that's okay. But whenever we try to supercharge it, uh, like a top fuel dragster doing less than four seconds down a quarter mile with top fuel. Um, and I would equate this to doing something like speed, cocaine, this sort of thing that uh, over uh, emphasizes the reward pathway that we exceed the capacity of normal in our dopamine release to 20 times, for instance, and we get stuck on it. We realize, well, we can be that good. And we've deluded ourselves into thinking that we can always be that good, not realizing that our body has a feedback loop that once it realizes uh, an extreme where, wow, that's like uh, kissing the divine. Well, okay, <laughs> you're not supposed to be doing that every day. And uh, if you do, then your body's going to be cutting back how much you have receptor-wise so that way you can't accidentally get that double dose of dopamine 
And that way you realize over time that if you do it often enough, now things seem gray whenever you're not using. They feel not only normal, they're dull, they're abnormal, they're almost negative because there's not any payoff in the regular experience of them. So there is danger in the sine wave, in the emotional roller coaster, especially if you have highs and lows that are beyond what we would call normal. We would call them an over-response or an exaggeration. Not necessarily a chosen response, but rather it's a reactive state that gets really uncomfortable. So whenever we're discussing, once again, the idea of having dysphoric recall or euphoric recall, often some of these drivers, if we find out how to change our feelings, are the motivators to where we start seeking things like drug use behavior um, and other substances and behaviors that give us that, that charge or that shot. And at some point, we forget how to be within that realm of our baseline. And I am absolutely comfortable using the term normal, but what I would say is my normal. There isn't a normal across the board that I can project and measure someone else by, but I know what mine is. And that's what I'm pointing at. Whenever I'm not comfortable there, when I'm not comfortable in the silence, when I'm not comfortable in the alone, not getting pats on the back and getting validated by other people's words and deeds and sort of stuff, then I have lost something. And that something isn't me, but rather uh, kind of lost the map of where my baseline normal centeredness is. And that's an important thing. So what I'm going to do is discuss a little bit about being centered right now. We're shifting gears away from the emotional roller coaster, our time machine that is our ticket to the past. And we're going to discuss, well, what do I do now? That's the self-regulatory part that can keep me from getting too much of that emotional up and down. Well, a couple of things you can do is to be embodied, uh, to be centered, to feel grounded. Uh, one of the cool movements that's going on right now, it has been for a while already, they called earthing. And uh, this is a, uh, a new idea in the self-help movement, which is very effective, mind you. And uh, whenever we have the longest nerves in our body, in our feet, the most sensitive nerves that we have, they're touching cool earth or, or cool grass. It's an amazingly perceptual feeling and is grind, grounding. And you might note that your mind stops shattering. It doesn't stop completely, but it, it's the chatter, the excess that stops. Same thing whenever you might hold a cold soda can or a can that has condensation on it that often is one of the cooling trigger factors with drinkers that drink cold drinks, uh, alcoholic drinks in some cases, that they discuss not only that, but also the coolness of the drink going down your throat and the swallowing of that. That often is a very deep, visceral, I can't put words on it type of experience. But you might note that studies have been done where people's heart rates actually slow down as a result of that. And gustation, tasting, smelling uh, are the things that bring about that wordless experience that centers us. Now, earthing is a new term, but it's actually an old traditional Chinese medical uh, term that has to do with grounding the, the meridian system or the acupuncture system. For those that believe or don't believe, it's not a belief system in the sense of a religious spiritual thing. But yet there is an actual physiological thing that occurs in the body where the body does rest whenever it feels more connected, whether it be the cool earth or even some cool tile that you lay on in your office, wherever your body feels and experiences 
without necessarily have to think and label and name. It slows down our higher cognitive process, so that means we put less strain on our brain, so to speak, for a moment, and brings us to a more basic sense and way of being for a moment, and it's very, very useful. I use this rather often. So whenever we are centering or grounding, this actually is one of the things that can help us keep from getting too emotional. Sometimes we need a grounding experience or holding something that I can hold in my hand that has little knobs or, or pressure point massagers that actually get our hand to wake up. It's the second area that has probably the largest innervation of nerves in our external body that can get our mind on what's experienced at the tactile level versus thinking about what's going on outside. It helps us split that signal a little bit versus us being stuck in our mind and over-responding and over-judging and that sort of thing. So these are some important ideas as far as recall. Recall is always going to be something that we struggle with whenever we are more anxious or stressed or expectant of negative or feel uncomfortable. If we're exhausted, we may be tired, some symptoms to pay attention to, not just in myself, even though this is about self-regulation, but rather you may note in others that can kind of validate this for you as well, is that when you speak to somebody that may be a little tense, anxious, or worried, especially if there's going to be a purchase um, wherever their hard-earned money goes into it, let's say a cell phone, for instance, and you tell them what the amount is less the credit, but yet they only listen to the amount, and that's the first two or three words that maybe the salesperson has mentioned. And, oh, no, I can't do however much money. And that is a very quick response because we can only gather a few bits of information when our stress is up. That means our blood flow is going to our body. We're in fight-flight reaction in a very small sense, maybe, but it's beginning, and that may keep us from getting critical information. So we become much more categorical in our thinking. That means we start to name, label, and categorize to make safe. But also our ability to think more deeply into things uh, tends to go down. And our capacity to read things the way they are, the way they look, versus how they could be or what they might be. And we miss not only opportunities, but we may actually close off opportunities for not only rapport, but also maybe, if you're buying a cell phone, getting a really good deal because you're not willing to accept whatever it is that's being given work-wise, which is a good thing. To be discriminating isn't bad at all. But sometimes if you're needing to encourage rapport, you may not be able to. It may become a little more difficult. So whenever we start grasping at details and holding on to them for dear life, I can't afford that. I can't do this, that. Or they told you maybe that's not where you're going to pay, but rather that's going to be uh, the credit that they're applying. And you only get the $400 part and you miss the part that they're trying to credit you or give you $400 towards a cell phone. Wow, what do you do with that? Well, apparently you might miss the opportunity if uh, you don't have a good salesperson or somebody there to help you understand. Because that becomes a symptom of the stress, but also that emotional roller coaster. And that's a dysphoric recall. I'm not going to get screwed over again, for instance. So therefore, I become defensive in the immediate moment. And it has nothing to do with what's going on right now. So this is how our euphoric and our dysphoric recall can become our ticket to the past. But also, it's a way that it can rob us of an opportunity to be in the immediate moment mindful and capable 
of communicating, but also enjoying what's going on in the immediate moment. So going into the holidays, I'm going to ask you all to just enjoy yourselves, enjoy your time, and you people, whomever it is that you may uh, pass time with, and try to get a handle on those things that may become a little excessively stressful so they don't become euphoric and dysphoric recall, and you can keep yourself off of that emotional roller coaster that becomes that negative time machine taking us to those days of future past. Follow, like, and share. I appreciate having spoken to you this evening, and I really appreciate you listening to this podcast. Share it with those that you like, give it to those you love, and hopefully we'll be talking soon. And if you have any comments or feedback, please send them to Running Man Get Skills Project at Gmail and take care. Walk well.